feels like something's out there staring straight at me. It's dangerous here. There is a monster aboard. She leaves a mark on men's skin. Uh, Doctor, what's, what's happening to me? She can smell the blood on your skin. She's marked you for death. A demon out there in the ocean. The Discussing Network presents Discussing Who, a Doctor Who podcast. I am Kyle Jones, and I want to welcome back everyone who is listening to this podcast right now. We are glad that you are here, whether you've been a longtime listener or whether this is your first episode. If this is your first episode, please go out and subscribe to the show using the podcast player of your choice. So again, I'm Kyle Jones, and this would not be discussing who if I could not say, Lee Shackelford, how goes the day? Very well, very well indeed. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a kind of an exciting time for, for me anyway. We I've got a play going that's uh, getting up on its feet, and um, uh, people who've been listening to this show for a long time have heard me tell tales of woe about the flooding that comes through our house and so on. But we are selling this house and we are moving somewhere else. Beverly, wow! Yes, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, and it's going to be pretty sweet. So. Yeah, my kinfolk said, move away from here. There. <laughs> That's what they said. So are, are you excited about the move? I'm assuming yes. Well, m- moving is always a chore, and I it's not like I'm not busy, but uh, <laughs> because I am. So it's just, it's just going to be some long days and a slog, but we will be out of here. We will be through with the flooding stuff uh, once and for all. And uh, yeah, so that's that. You know, I'm so inclined to say maybe you will get to move before, get ready for it, before we get to our review, which we probably will be moved and done and said and whatever, before we get to our review in season nine of Before the Flood. It's true. Yes, I, I, I certainly hope it will be out before then. <laughs> That's kind of a long way off. Yes, it is. But you know what yeah. it is not a long way off? Clarence Brown? Yes, Clarence Brown. How goes the day? Hey, man, doing well. Um, no no black spots on me except the ones I was born with. Uh, so I'm doing doing okay right now. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you're doing okay, <laughs> that there are no sirens coming to get you. But before we move on, I will say that I really do not have any news, but I do want to kind of give an update on something that I mentioned in a previous episode. We talked briefly about the Faceless Ones, the animated second Doctor story that has been restored. I've watched the first three episodes that I recorded that was on BBC America, and I got to say, it was pretty darn good. I I mean, again, there's six episodes. I hadn't watched all of them, but it had good pacing. It kept my interest, and the animation was kind of quirky because it almost seemed like real people moving the some of the way that they move which was i think they've done in previous animations but interesting so if you do get a chance to see the faceless ones i do recommend checking it out it has always had the reputation of being one of the most tragic losses of the classic series that we don't have the faceless ones because people who 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 had seen it um just said it, it's just a, a great six-parter and it's it's too bad that it's lost so yeah you're you're having a uh 
a rare experience there. Well, you know how we've often said, especially when the three of us go back and watch the classic series, we've painstakingly tried to pick four episode arcs so that mm-hmm. it's not a marathon to try to go watch. But even with the, some of the four episodes, I know we've said that they felt like they went on and on and on. But this, for some reason, doesn't. It, it's just weird. It just doesn't feel like it's a stretch, so to speak. Yeah. It, it's all about the writing, man. If, you, if you've really planned it as four episodes, or six episodes, rather, then it will work as six episodes. <laughs> if you've really thought about how to keep the momentum going for what's going to be three hours, right? of Doctor Who, then, then it'll work. I, I've always wanted us to, uh, to, to do a show about uh, the talents of Wing Chiang, but my you know, main reason I haven't pushed it harder is because it is six episodes long. But my goodness, does it barrel along, those six episodes. So, yeah. So I'm going to make a prediction, and, and Clarence, I'm, I'm going to include you on this because, you know what, it's, we need predictions and we need fun things to do. So Christmas from discussing who to Lee Shackelford this year, we're going to start planning for it now because it's six or however many episodes. We're going to review the talons of whatever you just said before. Wing thank you. Before yes. the, December the thirty first, twenty twenty. Lovely. How's how's that for a uh, surprise? Yeah, let's do it. All right, cool. So, gentlemen, real quick question: Any other items before we move on? I'm feeling like a bad Whovian because I'm I'm just not following um, um, the Time Lord Victorious at all, <laughs> and I don't know uh, what what uh, are are you keeping up with it or I tried to watch watch I tried to read the first issue of the series I really couldn't grasp it or kind of get into it and Clarence I think mm-hmm. you read it as well and felt the same way didn't you. Yeah, yeah, I read the very first issue and it, you know, oftentimes like those comics are, I mean, I'm not knocking them, but it just didn't grab me. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's kind of the ones you just have to stick with it a little bit longer. So, yeah, yeah it just it didn't pique my interest <laughs> to go further. So, Well, and the know. Big Finish shows are a major component of it. So it may be that if you haven't heard the Big Finish shows, then... Maybe what's going on in the comics wouldn't make a lick of sense, or maybe so. I, I don't know. But I echo what you said. I too kind of have that feeling of we're missing out, or shame on us uh-huh. to, to some degree. <laughs> Which, of course, they want us to. That's sort of why they they did it. But yeah, I don't know. I, I I'm still smarting from uh, the Secret Wars. You know, uh, multi-platform events just. Uh, multi-platform and i don't get along yeah uh you know the the original if we want to go comic book and say the original secret wars awesome Mm -hmm. the original crisis infinite earths awesome Mm -hmm. the incessant need for a crossover that has 15 tie-ins every six months not awesome yeah so yeah, well, I guess we should ask, like, for the people listening, do they want us to give updates on yeah. on uh, what time more victorious? Awesome, um, awesome. Yeah. Or, or or can can somebody out there give us updates? On <laughs> yeah, time even better. I, I don't know if uh, Nicole was following or not. Um, but yeah. So if example. you have 
read about Time Lord Victorious or listened to Time Lord Victorious, you know how to contact us. You can contact us on social media at Discussing Who, or you can send an email to host at DiscussingNetwork.com. So, gentlemen, I think that it is important at this time for me to say, if you have not seen The Curse of the Black Spot, put us on pause Go out, watch the episode, come back, because from this moment forward, spoilers. 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 Alrighty, the spoiler warning has gone out, and we are back to review The Curse of the Black Spot. This is the third episode of the 2011 series of Doctor Who, airing on the 7th of May 2011. It starred Matt Smith as the 11th Doctor, Karen Gillan as Amelia Pond, and Arthur Darville as Rory Williams. So Clarence Brown, I'll start with you. Summary view, what say ye? Oh, man. First off, it's kind of hard to believe that Pirates of the Caribbean, the, the Curse of the Black Pearl, came out in 2003. Doesn't that make <laughs> you feel old? <laughs> and um, it seems like, at least in title, they're trying to, um, you know, uh, play on that a little bit with the wording. But for me, um, I think this was good. It had a lot of interesting things going on. Um, a few very great moments that we'll get into that I really love. And, you know, I think for the sake of the story, the TARDIS eventually, I mean, uh, conveniently is not there for part of the story, but you know, uh, overall, I think I enjoyed it. So, so there, what do you, what do you guys think? All right, Lee. Well, I was eager to see it again because, um, I think since I saw it last, the uh, reputation has arisen of this being one of the low spots of uh, Matt Smith's time. And I just, every time I hear that, I think, I liked Curse of the Black Spot. but So I guess I've sort of started wondering, is there something wrong with me or is there something I don't remember? So I was eager to see it again. And I just I just had a ball with it. I, I just I just think there's so much to love in this episode. I, I, I think I can understand what it is that people don't like about it, but but that's all. It's an intellectual understanding. But viscerally, I, I just love it. So what, what was your, your take this time around? So it was interesting because, you know, we are running – a week behind in our recording, which, you know, sometimes I don't get the episodes out exactly on a weekly basis. And that said, I'm, I'm mentioning that because had you not said, Lee, that you wanted to review this, I was going to suggest either Clarence and I went, you know, at it alone last week because you weren't available or, you know, see if someone else was available. I'm saying that right now because I did not remember this as being very good myself, and I was really interested when you said, oh, yeah, I want to watch you know, that, and I want to review that. That piqued my interest. So, you know, thank you for that, because, again, I wasn't excited about watching this. That said, I mm-hmm. think I enjoyed it, but I think what people maybe are taking away from this as being a low point it's positioned around episodes that are monumental, in my opinion. You know, there are bookends of episodes that if you look back on Matt Smith's era, on both sides of this story, you've got big things happening and another big thing happening mm-hmm. right afterwards. And then you've got this one and sandwiched in the middle. 
I think that maybe is some of the reason why maybe people aren't, you know, drawn to this, maybe. Uh, I I think maybe with the exception of one or two scenes in this episode, that this is a great standalone, you know, anybody can just watch and get some inkling of who Doctor, you know, who Doctor Who is, what Doctor Who is, and, and um, kind of what the show is about. I, I, you know, maybe it doesn't fit into the overall arc of what's been going on in the greater Doctor Who story well, uh, as you see, it's bookend by those two big episodes. But I do feel like it's a great standalone Doctor Who story that anybody can just jump into and enjoy. Cool. Good point. Yeah, I, I think that's its function. It's uh, it, it, it's it's sort of like um, stopping on the side of the road to stretch your legs. It's a it, it's it's a breather. Um, it, nothing tragic happens. In fact, um, people on social media pointed out that uh, none of the principal cast uh, dies in this. Even the people who die uh, get better. <laughs> and uh, and there's really a spoiler for the episode. No villain in this. So you know, in, in the end, it's all. A misunderstanding and everything's okay. Uh, and that's that's a love that is it's a break. It's a lovely break for a change. So let's talk about the very beginning. So let's go to the very beginning. And I want to ask this one to you, Lee, be, mainly because I did not have enough time. I ran out of time to call up and look up the siren in mm. traditional folklore. What is a siren? The sirens are part of uh, Homer's uh, Iliad and the Odyssey. Um, they are uh, determined to. They're they're bad guys. They 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 are they 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 sing this song that causes the sailors to be uh, fall into a trance and they crash their ship on the rocks. And uh, it's been a long time since I've read Odyssey, but I think that I think I think they eat them or something. Anyway, there's a reason why they're doing this. It's it's food, but. Um, you know, a lot of the gods and godlings in the Greco-Roman mythology are just bastards. They just do terrible things just because they can. So maybe uh, maybe the sirens don't have an agenda. But but they have sort of been adopted into a number of different uh, cultural myths, including the Anglo-Celtic repertoire that uh, that the sailors in here reference. So uh, th- they claim the sirens as their own. But yeah, they, so they're they're afraid of her singing. <laughs> So let me say this, since you're mentioning deities at the moment, let mm. me just say that if by any chance Pluto is a deity, which I think, of course, Pluto is, and you are a fan of Oz9 podcast, and you're a fan of discussing who? Circus Peanuts. Go listen to it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so, so um, Clarence Brown, I want to ask you a question and, and then ultimately ask you both a question. Did either of you notice the star and specifically it looked like a pentagram drawn onto a part of the ship. So did, did you notice that too? I had, no, I did, did not at all. What about you, mm-hmm. Lee? Did you notice no. that? No. At the beginning when they mm-hmm. are, and even in the scene where they're doing the fight scene, there is this area that's in the middle of the ship and there is this red Star and and I'm telling you to me it looked like a pentagram that was drawn onto the ship and I was curious if that had any type of significance maybe to ward off evil spirits or something to that effect but mm-hmm. it was very prominent and in the middle of the ship um, and again it's, it's really prominent in the, in the opening scene 
Interesting. I, there are several things that were out there that, that look like sort of um, uh, charms. You know, the, the, the sailors have the idea that they're going to ward off the siren, but um, pieces sort of homemade um, uh, dream catchers, you know, uh, uh, mobiles and things like that. And, of course, the amulet that uh, Captain Avery has. But So it would make sense. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. So uh, that's another shout out to anyone listening. If you also notice that and you know the meaning of that, please send in feedback and let us know what that is and what the purpose of it was. I would love to know. Yeah. Yeah. Let me let me make a quick comment about Siren. Um, I feel like such an idiot because <laughs> I had no idea this was this had something to do with Homer's Odyssey. And I was thinking it had something to do with an ambulance Siren. <laughs> <laughs> that's so why we dumb. that's why we call them sirens oh really okay yeah i don't feel yeah. so dumb now <laughs> right they, they they're supposed to make an entrancing noise that makes you stop what you're doing but yeah no you you're right that is <laughs> that, that's mm. connected that's why we call them sirens uh, um okay and my uh, and my thing about her is that that's lily cole uh who is a an actress model who you know very well known in the uk and i didn't know her at all so the first time i saw this episode i remember just sort of leaning toward the screen going are they doing something complicated CG wise to her eyes because they're too big for her face? That is really weird. And and then I learned that they cast her because she has that kind of amazing physiognomy, these eyes that seem to take over her face. And uh, when my uh, wife and I were in uh, in England the first time, we saw a billboard with her on it. <laughs> and I said, oh. No, that's really what she looks like. Okay. <laughs> All righty. But, uh, yeah, it turns out she's done a lot of things uh, as an actor that uh, are, are pretty cool, including a, a, a docudrama miniseries about Elizabeth I, in which she got the, the title role. So hmm. she's been Elizabeth. Interesting. And Clarence, hmm. I'll make you feel a little bit better. I didn't know that about the Odyssey and the sirens either. And I honestly didn't put the ambulance siren either. So you both have one up on me. So yeah. I, I figured this is my, my functional, the show that I'm here to be encyclopedia Brown, <laughs> There you especially go. if it's, especially if it's knowledge of no practical value whatsoever. <laughs> hey, I'm supposed to be the one that has, uh, you know, I was actually told one time you're just a wealth of useless knowledge. Yeah. Uh, we, we probably all three been told that. but <laughs> All right. So uh, here's something I'm sure that we've never been told before. Or I'd assume we've never been told before is to walk the plank. And mm. I just thought that was cool. Uh, <laughs> the uh, doctor asking the other pirate or the pirates to do the, ho, 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 you know, the laughing. And I just thought that was so d- 11th doctor to do that. I just thought that <laughs> yes. was cool. He just wants the experience, you know? So I want to know what you guys thought about Amy getting the opportunity to go to sea and fight pirates. And Clarence, what did you think of pirate Amy? Oh, it was beautiful to watch. One of my favorite parts of this episode, her having fun, taking charge. And, you know, um, not really a doctor-esque role because this is more physical, I would say, but she does try to save the doctor when the doctor needs her. So I really love that. And the irony of the situation of where she may think she's doing a good job <laughs> defending or protecting the doctor, or in fact, um, the pirates are just scared to get pricked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's really just that one end of the sword that they're scared of, but you know, it's still working. Works for a good long time. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I, I 
no, go ahead. Please. No, no, go ahead. I, I had read that um, that she and that Karen Gillan and Arthur Darver were both uh, eager to do some stunts after they read this script. And um, Karen got to do hers, and Arthur did not get to do his. Interesting. Yes. She wanted to swing on that rope and uh, and land into the bunch of guys, and they let her do that. The moment where the siren sends her flying through the air, that's not Karen Gillan. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, Rory wanted to take the dive into the sea and um yeah pretty much everybody around said nah, nah. that's <laughs> not no that, that's a little different than swinging on the rope into a bunch of people so no so no. so lee let me ask you since you brought up rory mm-hmm. do you recall when you watched this the first time did you think rory was about to die again or do you were you yeah. like oh we're going down this road again yep i thought oh here we go this is what he does yeah i do i remember that distinctly what about you, Clarence? Did you think they were going that route? Yeah, same as that reaction. I was like, oh, poor Rory, man. He can't catch a break. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> same here. So speaking, I want to stay on the Rory tangent here for a moment. So Rory has this infatuation because he gets, you know, nicked and he's got the black spot. And here comes the siren and he's got this infatuation, if you want to call it that, with the siren because he's enthralled or bespelled or whatever you want to call it. What did you think of that scene? Of Any thoughts on that? I thought it was inter- interesting to see him just be able to say all of these things about this other woman <laughs> in front of Amy. Um, you know, it was awkward for, I guess it wasn't really awkward because he was under a spell, but still, I think it was a lot of funny it brought about a lot of uh, interesting and funny moments of him just, you know, uh, talking about how beautiful this creature was. And, and Amy just has to listen on while he just keeps blabbering. Cool. Lee, thoughts from you? Well, it, it struck me this time a little differently than I guess it did before. Maybe I just don't remember. But it, she really is. Uh, it, she's mostly playing, but she is a little bit sulky about the fact that he called this this <laughs> specter the most beautiful creature he'd ever seen. And I thought that's a bit thick coming from Amy Pond, who <laughs> on at their wedding says the doctor, not even a quick snog in the bushes. Oh boy! <laughs> okay, there's one set of rules for you and another set of rules for Rory. I get it. <laughs> oh poor guy. <laughs> but it's Amy. She can, you know, she she can. Do what she wants to, right? Yes. <laughs> All right. So let's go below deck for a moment. And this was one of the things, this was a cool thing, but this was one of the things that made me kind of give a little bit of disbelief for the story. And so help me out here, guys. Let me know if I missed something here. Are we to believe that the son, Toby, has been there down there all that time and nobody noticed? Are we to think that or did I miss something? Uh, Apparently. And because they said that they thought that um, um, the doctor and Rory and Amy had been down there the whole time. Um, And then elsewhere in the script, they say that they've been at sea for three years. Oh, wow. So it it is a logical problem. How? I mean, obviously, they they make ports of call and they are and they're raiding ships. So, you know, there is a point at which somebody could have come on board and hidden. But still, however long it has been, he's been in that barrel. This kid. What is it? He's, He's got typhoid, right? Yeah, he's got he's got typhus fever and he's been in a barrel. Um, it, it does strain credibility. 
Okay. But who cares? The captain's been reunited with his son. <laughs> <laughs> and and what's important is that the son thinks that his dad's a naval officer and he doesn't know he's a pirate. So that brings up another question. And the way they presented Toby to me was this uniquely, even though he was a sickly child, you know, and sickness does not change you know, that type of sickness does not change who a person is. That's not reason I said he's a sickly child. But he comes across, or the way they present this character, is such a an insightful person for his age. And this is a general question. And Clarence, I'm going to point this to you first. Um, this is a general question outside of Doctor Who, but but applies to this character. What makes, in your opinion, some people so insightful at such a young age compared to someone else at that age that doesn't have that level of insightfulness. Thoughts? Well, specifically in this case, we know that his mother has died. Now, I don't know how long ago that was, but uh, apparently he's been on his own, I would assume. But again, like how long that is, um, it, it's forced him to grow up fast. Hmm, good point. Lee? There's um, from time to time um, writers for stage screen or radio or whatever make lists of um, their top 10 favorite tropes, meaning the things that get on their nerves because they see it so often. And genius child is always on the list. <laughs> it's, it's just and I've done it, too. It's just it's just lazy writing that you don't want to write something the way a real you know, whatever he is, 12 year old boy would say it because that's hard. So let's just make him extraordinarily insightful and give him a big vocabulary too. Um, you know, it's because there are people like that. Sure. Yeah. But, but it's, it, it's a, it's a shortcut. Got you. Got you. Well, let's just assume that he somehow the siren. Hey, I, you, you've always said, Lee, if you give an explanation, that's all you sure. need. So the siren has secretly been bringing the boy books that he's been reading while he's been stuck in a barrel for three years. I'll go you one better. Okay. This is skipping to the end of the episode, but I, I like I like the way you're thinking. I think that their proximity to this crashed spaceship, because it is actually where they are, you know, they're, they're intersecting through dimensions. They're, uh, everybody on board is actually picking up impressions of... Uh, a more advanced civilization and the concept of space travel to the extent that somebody like Captain Avery, I'm going to keep calling him that, that Henry Avery would be able to pilot Starship <laughs> given the opportunity. I like that because I had a sentence down here that is a question toward the end of my questions that says, and I quote what I'm reading right now that says, how did the captain learn to fly a spaceship? That makes sense. The same reason the kid is so smart. Gotcha. All right. So, Clarence, let me ask you this question. At what point did you think that something else might be going on? Uh, honestly, for me, I really had totally forgot about this episode. Um, I remembered the parody parts, but I didn't remember the, you know, interdimensional play that they kind of had going on. So, um, yeah, that was a total shock to me. That was a total shock to me. Um, it, I found it surprising, though, without clear evidence that the doctor was so willing to allow himself, uh, him, Amy, and, and uh, Avery to be taken. Um, 
And then I have some questions in the resulting uh, events, like after they got taken, like why weren't they in the bio beds as well? So, um, yeah, it was a bit, it was a bit confusing uh, at first, but yeah, it made so much sense <laughs> once we got the reveal, and I thought it was rather clever, so I, I liked it. All right, Lee, what about you? What at what point did you realize something else might have been going on? I, yeah, I would have to go back to when I saw it first, and I and I my memory is of just being pulled along by the pace of the story and just continually wondering what what in the world is really going on here and and so by the time we got to the revelation that she's not trying to hurt these guys but trying to help them uh i just i was just delighted it seemed to just come out of nowhere but make perfect sense cool so i don't remember where i don't even know if i ever called on to it beforehand i think it was just Oh, revealed and, oh, okay, that was it. It wasn't, you know, like, oh, wow, is something else, you know, what something's just not fitting. I just think I watched it and said, oh, hey, that's what it is. All right. So we keep mentioning the hospital ship, as I will call it. So, Lee, I have a question for you. What did you think of the contrast between the singing siren and the enraged siren, as I'll call her, that visual change? (laughs) What did you think? That's a lovely effect, and and uh, it's it's great that um, to make her a specter, you know, that's a traditionally green is a is a color for that. So she's she's green like go when she's <laughs> the siren, and then she goes red like stop, <laughs> and, and yeah, and you do not you whatever it is you're doing, stop it. Um, yeah, I just love that, love that effect. Cool, Clarence. Any thoughts from you? Uh, you, you thought your doctor had a bad bedside manner. Um, <laughs> it, it, it very much reminded me a lot of the EMH on Voyager. Uh, I mm-hmm. think, uh, you know, this, I guess, computer generated type um, being. Something. Yeah, yeah, something. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what it reminded me of. And um, I don't know. I don't know. I still have a, a trying to work out the logic in my head of, of why she was actually bringing people over for a nick. But she doesn't know humans, so I guess that's kind of the explanation we got. But still, she's able to keep them alive. And, like, for the people to get nicked on the hand, when their hand heals, does she let them go? Maybe no, not. No, she just keeps them. Uh, I don't know. So you had some questions slash concerns that you wanted to present. So I want to turn the table over to you and let you ask those questions because I'm curious. I thought, well, I think that was just it. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, like you, you, you're having people getting taken for a nick, you know, nothing life threatening. Again, these are humans and she doesn't know how to heal those people because, you know, humans, but they would naturally heal after like a week. So does she, why doesn't she return them? That's kind of my question there. Uh, so that, that's the part that really, you know, kind of confused me if you dug too deep. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it is. One of those things where you can really enjoy it for an hour, but after the episode's over, if you start thinking about it too much, wait, what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> the, the guy who got to who got a leech, you know, uh, latched on to for a second, he's fine. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> seriously, just. But no, she's got him on a table too, and he's he's unconscious. So if if there's a line that of dialogue that that addresses this, I missed it uh, because it really would have been nice to 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 at least come up with an explanation for why she's taking these people to help them, but she doesn't bring them, she doesn't let them go. Yeah. Literally. Since we're all, yeah, since we're right. all dying, she just grabs all, you know? 
right. Oslo. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll all end up there eventually. Mm-hmm. But now Roy, Rory has properly drowned. I understand that. Yes. <laughs> He's dead. <laughs> yeah, for him and the boy, it made a ton of sense. Yes. So let's talk about, you know, we we asked the question earlier about did we think we were going down the road of Rory dying? And we just, you know, admitted Rory died, even though he didn't stay dead as he has before. What did you guys think of the correspondence or the conversation, not correspondence, between Amy and Rory with this scene of Rory ultimately knowing and trusting that Amy would save him? And Lee, why don't you start with your thoughts? It's one of my favorite things about the episode, and uh, uh, because it really is solidly about the two of them. And Karen Gillan's performance is terrific. And... um so I just I just really admire that. It has to call people's minds to a similar scene in um, the uh, James Cameron's film The Abyss, which has the most excruciating resuscitation attempt in cinema history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just really hard to watch, but I, you know it's it's like being on a roller coaster. I I also love it, but it's the same kind of thing. Look, I'm gonna die, and I'm gonna trust you to resuscitate me on the other side, okay? <laughs> you know, mm. so it's the same setup. And um, yeah, for I love the way that, everything about the way they played it. And I remember talking to a friend of mine who is not only a writer but a specialist in writing things about uh, medicine that uh, she writes things that are for uh, educational purposes to be used in hospitals. And she's also a And she said that she really admired this scene because they did not attempt to show you how to do CPR. Mm. Mm. And I thought that's counterintuitive. I, I would have thought you would have appreciated the fact that they, if they correctly showed how, and she said, right. But the problem is most people get their ideas about how to do CPR from watching people do it on TV. And that's no way to learn it. So she said, I guarantee you, somebody at the BBC had the wisdom, because they've been doing this for years, to know if you're going to do a scene like this, don't show, don't, don't, don't show Amy counting. Don't show whether, you know, yeah, just show that it's happening. And, and that's, that's more complicated. Interesting. But yeah, watch it again and you'll see you, you, you couldn't possibly learn anything from that. You just know that it's being done. And yeah. And my friend was saying, good. Go take a class <laughs> and learn how, but don't learn it from watching Doctor Who because you're going to do it wrong and you can really, really hurt somebody. Good point. Um, yeah. I have a friend who, who had a cracked sternum because she got knocked out at a game and somebody gave her CPR and yeah, they broke her sternum. Ew. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which is, you know, yeah, a little hard to recover from. Wow. Anyway. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, literally, I'm like going, wow. Well. Yeah. So. Well, I'm still going well. Sorry. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, lots to love about the uh, saving Rory. And, and, you know, here is the doctor who is called the doctor. Why don't you have him do it? You know, and the doctor sort of sidling away because he knows where this is going. And Rory says, because I know you won't give up. Hmm. And she can't argue with that because she will not give up. It's beautiful. All right. Clarence, what say you? Uh, pretty, pretty much everything Lee said. Um the the one observation I really had about this scene was was the last thing we mentioned the doctor just standing back and not really doing much of anything except giving Amy support. Uh, I really expected him to jump in and do a bit more, or you know, once they got him in the TARDIS, maybe there's something in the TARDIS that can assist. Or but he kind of just 
no, stood back and let her uh, do her thing, which, you know, thank thank goodness. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I think we had this conversation in my house when we were watching this, you know, back in 2011, that once they got him into the TARDIS, I think that everybody, you know, in in my living room was saying, well, surely there's something in the TARDIS. (laughs) But, you know, I'm going to make a comment that is not specific to this scene, but it is to the broader picture of the picture of Amy and Rory and the 11th Doctor. I would love to go back and count how many times the two of you have said, you know, either bravo or good job or job well done or whatever to Arthur Darville or to Matt Smith or to Karen Gillan in no particular order since we started with the 11th hour, because it just seems to be a theme that we keep saying over and over about how well the three of them are performing their scenes, which I agree with, but it is also testament to why so many people loved the pairing of these three actors together because they played so freaking well off of each other. Yeah. So, gentlemen, I do not have any other notes about this other than asking you, do you have any other points that we have not approached uh, real quick, I mentioned it earlier, um, how the TARDIS uh, conveniently is not there when they need it most. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm glad that it came back or that it went to the other dimension. I think that made sense, but it felt like a little too convenient for it to leave just to just for the doctor and Avery to do their the TARDIS version of abandoned abandoned ship. You know, <laughs> it just felt a little too convenient for it to be gone. So uh, I don't know. That felt weird. But, you know, it made sense in a larger um, grand scheme of the story of it being in the alternate dimension and it being locked, as they kind of put it when they were explaining, explaining it as they tried to take off. OK, I have a I have an answer to that, if you'd like. Don't say the doctor lies. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We, we, we will soon learn yes. that the, the that, you know, you're talking about the TARDIS not being there when he uh, wanted the TARDIS there. We do learn very soon, maybe, that the the TARDIS doesn't always take the doctor where he wants to go, but where he needs to go. Just saying. So we're yeah. saying the doctor and Avery should have just stayed in the TARDIS and we wouldn't have had this episode. <laughs> 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 Who's who? who? No. Yeah, yeah uh, it is. It, I think that's a very fair criticism of this, but it's you have to i think you have to tar the whole series with the same brush and and it's something that all of us who are fans of the classic series i think have to smile at because so many times everything would have been okay if they'd just gone gotten back in the tardis or, or the solution was within easy reach if they'll just go in the tardis and they just don't it's like it's like as soon as the doctor and whoever his companions are when they leave it they forget about it and yeah. Which doesn't make any sense, but it but it keeps the story going. Uh, in uh, in the, the Christmas Carol, which you know we were just talking about, the Doctor has a throwaway line as he's going around muttering to himself about why he can't he can't uh, go up to the crashing spaceship and rescue Amy and Rory because the TARDIS can't lock on. Okay, so we can't do that. And and you know I've watched it like three or four times before I said, wait, what did you say? <laughs> the TARDIS can't lock on. Okay. All right, so we dispensed with that, didn't we? What yeah. you know, and that, and the show is always doing that. <laughs> but yeah, this time there was a proper reason why the TARDIS went away. It was yeah, yeah. 
I, I, I wanted to mention the fact that um, for all of us uh, Downton Abbey fans, this is a treat because that's that's Lord Grantham. That's Hugh Bonneville as Henry Avery. And um, he's an actor that I just enjoy everything and I love his voice. So it was great to uh, to hear him uh, narrating the prequel where he talks about the ship being becalmed and his crew being picked off one by one. It's wonderful. And I just think it's a great performance from him throughout. Um, I'm a little older than he is. So I, yeah, I, I look at him when he's in kind of old age makeup like that. And I think, God, I'm old. Um, <laughs> well, we're yeah, all, yeah. we're the all in age. Caribbean movies do not make me feel old. Either. Yeah. <laughs> we're all in age. You are the age you feel. That's right. Yeah, it, it does not help to compare life accomplishments with people who are my age, like Hugh Bonneville. I don't I don't need to play that game with him or mm, Barack Obama. So, yeah, I don't need to say, gosh, what have I done with my life? Look at Barack Obama. He's my age. Anyway, um, he is playing Henry Avery. And um, this is really another episode where we meet a historical character. Uh, Henry Avery was a real was a real person. And I hope you're um, going where I think you're going. I, I probably am because um, he's been mentioned on the show before. Ding, 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 ding. Yep. Uh, Henry Avery is mentioned as one of the, the pirates in the sadly lost first Doctor serial, The Smugglers. Mm. Um, but yeah, they they knew their Brit lit, so British history. So they, um, they mentioned a, and the reason why this writer wanted to uh, have the this pirate be Henry Avery is because Avery's men were rounded up. Uh, a lot of the fortune that he had accrued uh, was seized. and um, But they never got Henry Avery. He disappeared. Uh-huh. So this episode provides a fanciful explanation for what happened to Henry Avery. So um, that's fun. Yeah, very fun. So I want to throw another bit of trivia at the two of you really, really quick. This episode's resolution, in a way, or the villain reveal, quote-unquote, in a way, shares a common thread with another episode that is also a regeneration story. What regeneration story am I referring to? Hmm. Well, what's, what's the similarity? The reveal of the villain, quote-unquote. Oh. In other words, that there wasn't a villain. Hmm. You want me to tell you? Yeah. Not once, but twice upon a time. The testimony wasn't really, spoilers, the testimony yeah. wasn't really a bad guy. That's right. And, you know, I remember thinking, ah, they've done that before. And I was thinking about Curse of the Black Spot. There you go. See? Yeah. Oh, yeah. More trivia. The Black Spot is uh, referred to in Robert Louis Stevenson's uh, Treasure Island. Uh, all of all of the uh, the Jolly Roger um, pirates are they're afraid of getting the black spot, and it's never specified what what that is. It's, it's a curse. <laughs> so that that's that's where the the idea of a curse of the black spot comes from. So so it's a lovely coincidence that the that the uh, the siren gives them this uh, sign that I guess says I'm coming. You know. But it happens to be this thing that the pirates are afraid of. And Clarence, you made reference at the very beginning to the name, The Curse of the Black Spot. The original title for this was called The Siren, but they changed it to tie in name-wise to be a little bit more associated with Curse of the Black Pearl. So Interesting. That was cool that you picked up on that because I thought that was cool. All right. So, gentlemen, that means I need to ask you. 
favorite scene. And Clarence, why don't you go first? What was your favorite scene? Very easily, Amy uh, swashbuckling. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I mean, even though she wasn't in much danger because they were scared of getting, you know, stabbed or, or pricked, um, I still thought it was fun. And I liked, um, I liked the performance there. All right. Lee, what say you? That's also my favorite scene, but uh, but a runner-up is um, Amy's interaction with the siren um, with uh, when they're inside the hospital ship and her demanding to be allowed to take care of Rory. Um, it, it's just fun to see these sort of two formidable females squaring off like that. And uh, I, I, yeah, I love that whole scene. All right. My favorite scene is one that is including is something that Matt Smith does. He doesn't even say anything. And Lee, you have taught me in these reviews that we've done with Matt Smith to pay more attention, not necessarily at what he says, but what he does. And this one is my favorite scene because of that. It's in the scene where we get to see Toby and the father and the son are reunited. And the father says, I don't want you here. And the son responds and they show Matt. And there's this look that he gives like this. "Mm, Yeah, I know what's coming. Or there's this all knowing smirky grin that he gives that is so cool. But he ultimately didn't have to do anything because it was a scene with other two other characters. Mm. But I think it made the scene this one little smirk of a look that he gives that is really, really cool. And I thought it was well played. So that's my favorite scene. Yeah. All right. Favorite quote. And Lee, I'll start with you this time. What was your favorite quote? <laughs> this, uh, this just gave me a big laugh this time. <laughs> They're inside the TARDIS trying to figure out why it won't do anything. And the doctor's trying to explain. Uh, and Avery says, I'm confused. The doctor says, yeah, well, it's a big club. We should get T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. All right. Clarence, favorite quote. Uh, mine is also inside the TARDIS. And the doctor says, I'm I'm sorry I lied when I said yours was bigger. Kitchen that way, bathrooms there, there, and there. <laughs> oh, boy. Gotta uh, love it. Cool. Well, mine was another thing that the doctor said, uh, not as fun as the two that you guys gave, but it is when he said things can suddenly change when you're least expecting. I just thought it was cool and for no other reason than, hey, I thought it was cool. And it's very true. All right. Final rating. And I'll start with this one. Final rating. I'm going to give it three Three, I think there were stars on the deck, but I'm not quite sure. Now I'm questioning myself out of five. I thought this was fun, but it's not an episode that I revisit. But it was a fun watch. So three out of five. So Clarence, what say you? I'll give it 3.5 black spots out of five. Ah, cool. All right. Lee Shackelford, what say you? Hey, go a little higher. I'll give you four flaming red sirens. Good. I like that. Woo, woo, woo. All right. So that says that that brings our review of Curse of the Black Spot to a close. And in closing, I always have to ask, and I'm going to start this time with Clarence Brown. Clarence, where else might you be found on the Internet? Uh, actually, I'll just leave a parting gift, which would be if you have HBO Max, check out the Studio Ghibli movies on there. It's like the Japan version of the Japanese version of, of Disney. And if you just want some, you know, 
feel good type movies um, in this current climate. Uh, I think that's the way to go. So check out Studio Ghibli on HBO Max. All right. Yeah. So, so I'm going to keep in that same yeah. theme. And so, uh, Lee, what else have you been watching that you could share with us that you would recommend somebody go out and watch? Somebody told me a long time ago that I need to be watching Timeless. And and I said, yeah, yeah, I don't have time to watch a lot of TV, honestly. But um, the, the series has ended and uh, now it's all there in its completeness. And so my wife had been and I have been um, binging that. And my golly, what a smart uh, and, and thrilling show. It's a, it's a time travel show. And, you know, I dig a time travel show. <laughs> um, you may not have caught on to that. But no, I would have never guessed. Yeah. But uh, it's um, if I had had the opportunity and if I frankly had this kind of skill, this is the show I would have created. It's just it just pushes all of my buttons. So, you know, that might not be true for everybody. But, yeah, it's called Timeless. And I. Yeah. Is it two or three seasons? I think two and a half, something like that, that they that they their contract was uh, were winding up. And so they decided to conclude instead of by finishing out a season to do a uh, a movie to gotcha. do a two hour episode. Yeah. Gotcha. So, wow, this, yeah. Yeah. This show has a, a cult following. I remember when they were trying to cancel it, people like were, were revolting. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and, well, I remember I watched the first season and mm. I enjoyed it. And I think I didn't watch the second season only for, uh, and I, and Clarence, I think you've mentioned this before, you know, do you want to commit to something that you know is only going to be one season? Yeah. yeah. You know, um, so my parting gift is a show that I mentioned, I think, when we were off the air the last time we recorded. And I told you, Lee and Clarence, that I was in, I think, at the end of series or season two of a show called Elementary. Well, I can say that within the two weeks since then, I am halfway through series six of seven of Elementary. I have literally been nothing else other than Doctor Who, Star Trek, Discovery, and Elementary. That is the only three things that I have been watching in the past three weeks, and I can't stop watching Elementary. Yeah. The the only thing that would make elementary more fun for you is if you knew the Sherlock Holmes canon as I do, because it is loaded. It is laced through and through with little winks and Easter eggs and shout outs to the original stories. And uh, to me, that's just, you know, endlessly. Delightful. Well, well, I'm so, going to make you feel good because of one right. that I did pick up on. Oh, good. Uh, uh, there is an episode that deals with a comic book and a comic book artist. And yeah. they're talking about comic book tropes. And Sherlock makes a reference to one of the ways of killing off a character that he particularly did, doesn't care of is when their nemesis goes off a waterfall and thinks that they're dead. <laughs> I picked up on that one. I got that yes. one. <laughs> so, you know, there's going to be no waterfall moment in a, yes, <laughs> in elementary. Yeah. Yes. So I love, I mean, I'm, a, I'm like obsessed. So, um, but, but, but That's to so your credit, I had to really almost get your blessing <laughs> before <laughs> I was able to really enjoy it. I'll give you that. A lot of people think that, that Sherlockians uh, will object somehow to elementary, but uh, I, I don't know any, and, and I know the ones who are real uptight about some of this stuff, but uh, I don't know any who don't love elementary as well. Um, well cool. It, is, is there a certain amount of 
Sherlock Holmes stories that is, uh, I mean, that are written by the original author that are recommended or just are part of the accepted canon or has the story gone on with different writers since then? Oh, it's gone on with a thousand different writers, <laughs> including me. But, um, but yeah, but Arthur Conan Doyle did write what we call the canon. Okay. Which is th- those 60 stories that were published in his, in his lifetime. 60? Uh, 60, yeah. 56 wow. short stories and four novels. And, um, and you know, and they are not all winners. Uh, some of them are transparently rewrites of, of earlier ones. And, you know, I, I'll be the first to say it. And, uh, I'm not a fan of all of the, the novels, but, um, yeah, but, um, there's, a, when you go to, um, a bookstore and you find a handsome volume that says the adventures of Sherlock Holmes, or sometimes it'll be called the complete Sherlock Holmes. And that's very misleading. It's actually just the first short stories that were uh, all published together like that. And, uh, so it's easy to get a little bamboozled by that, but you know, that's one of those things where no harm, no foul, because those are all great stories. <laughs> so if you think that's all there are great, <laughs> but I would say, and, and Lee, I think you will agree with me here. If you want to watch the pre, I will call it the premier Sherlock Holmes, go at, to Brit box and watch Jeremy Brett and the, I believe it's called The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. They, they named each of those serials like the, the collections of the short stories. Ah. So there's the, uh, yeah, so there's The Return of Sherlock Holmes and A Casebook of Sherlock Holmes and so on, Memoirs of Sherlock Holmes. So yeah, they, they actually called them that uh, as the series went on. But yeah, most people just call them the Jeremy Brett <laughs> Sherlock Holmes or, <laughs> or the Granada series. So I will say yeah. by far, I, I love him as Sherlock Holmes. Just fantastic. Um, brilliant. I, I will go so far as to say I've seen Tom Baker as Sherlock Holmes and uh, Jeremy Brett blows him out of the water. No offense yeah, to Tom I, Baker. I still think Jeremy Brett is the, the definitive Sherlock Holmes uh, What's on, on, on yeah. the screen. Yes. What's on? Yeah. Yeah. And for uh, us fans of other uh, imaginary fiction franchises, uh, one of those, um, Jeremy Brett, uh, Sherlock Holmes is, um, the six Napoleons. It has a whole scene that's set in this Italian community and there's this beautiful Italian girl, Papa, Papa, you know, and it's Marina Sirtis. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Little, little young, little younger that we first saw her on Next Generation, but yeah, she's fabulous. Tie it in, tie it in. There you go. There you go. I, I couldn't, I couldn't draw Doctor Who to this somehow, but yeah, you, you mentioned the time. Hey, I did uh, in a way, yeah, Tom Baker. Yeah. He did. He did uh, Silver Blaze and he did The Hound of the Baskervilles. And uh, my wife and I watched the Tom Baker Hound not too long ago, and uh, I had forgotten how good it is. Um, it is definitely odd to see him without his trademark, uh, you know, mop of hair. You know, they really yep. cut it short for him to be Sherlock Holmes. and It, it takes some getting used to. Yep. Just as then, and I will almost end on this as seeing Tom Baker and Nicholas and Alexandra playing Rasputin. <laughs> God, he's great at Nicholas yeah. and Alexandra. He's so good. So anyway. for everyone listening, thank you for indulging or allowing us to indulge in discussing Sherlock. So <laughs> thanks everyone for listening. And as always, I'm going to say we will be back next time. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at discussingnetwork.com.